0: La 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 la
1: la 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 Welcome to the Must Love Self podcast. My name is Carly Israel and I am your host. What is Must Love Self all about? It's about our bodies, our worth, and our voices. It is a movement, an attitude. It is a decision. It is a project. It is a journey. It is a life choice. Every week, I get to interview a brave woman who may not be perfect, but is on the path and is willing to share their ugly and their beautiful. La 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 la
0: la 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 la
1: Welcome to the Must Love Self podcast. My name is Carly Israel, and I am your host. What is Must Love Self all about? It's about our bodies, our worth, and our voices. It is a movement, an attitude. It is a decision. It is a project. It is a journey. It is a life choice. Every week, I get to interview a brave woman who may not be perfect, but is on the path. And is willing to share their ugly and their beautiful. I want everybody to hold on to their seats right now because you are listening to two dead women that are happily alive, struggling, walking, focusing, and falling down. And I cannot wait to introduce you to one of my favorite humans in the entire world, Sarah Marcus Donnelly. Say hello to everyone. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to do this. It's too bad that we did not get to record the breakdown I just had (laughs) on camera because Sarah's my person who I bring all of my yuck to, and I'm her person that she brings all of her yuck to. And when we got on Zoom today, I was like, can we just do this instead of living? Like, Can we just have talks all day? What I want to ask Sarah to talk about It's interesting. She just said these words, and it wasn't even about must love self, but it was exactly about must love self. We were talking about a situation in my life and it and I thought about it. It's exactly the situation that so many women that are listening to us are going through, where the way that we're living our lives, whether it's asking ourselves to achieve an unachievable goal on a regular basis, asking us to be a hundred percent as a mother, as a career person, as a partner, as a human, asking ourselves to be happy with our body or like our body or something mean our body or use our voice. She said this, it is not working. What's going on now is not sustainable. She said, the only option I really have, I could actually try something new. And that's what I want to talk about today with Sarah is that's what this is about. Right. Trying to. The way
0: that we live is not sustainable. I mean, we talk about it all the time, right? We can continue on. I, I know you can't see me because this is a podcast, but imagine (laughs) my hand motions. I truly believe that you can be in a little amount of pain, a small amount of pain for an indefinite amount of time. So that's like continuing on in this way that we're going. And you could potentially feel like crap forever, or you can make a big change and do the thing that you need to do, feel an immense amount of pain, for a limited amount of time until you walk through whatever it is you're you're going through. But at the other end of that scenario is freedom. (laughs) And that's what I'm into.
1: Yeah. And Sarah is. She is unapologetically herself. She calls me out and calls the world out if she sees injustice or misunderstanding or ignorance. And I welcome it all the time, which is why not only is she going to be on today, but she's going to be a frequent visitor of Muscle Self. And she just got certified as a coach and she's going to come on and be a team member with me because what Sarah has to offer in so many areas is going to be, I mean, eating disorders and mommy issues and relationship stuff and trauma sexually and just all of it. She has so much to bring, but ultimately right? It's about what? What is it ultimately about for you?
0: Well, honestly, you know, as a survivor of like the severe eating disorder, which led to hospitalizations, I also had a really severe suicide attempt. I was minutes away from not being on this earth. We're survivors of drug and alcohol addiction, survivors of rape and sexual trauma. I was so desperate for a mentor. I looked around and I just thought, where are the adults and where are the adults who could model self-love and a healthy body image and healthy relationships, or I don't know, healthy emotional responses, or like, I don't know, any real life problem solving skills would have been excellent. And I looked around and I didn't see any of that. And now that I'm an adult, I mean, I've been one for a while now, I think about You know, how can I turn all of that pain into purpose and how can I become that person that I needed so desperately when I was younger and craved when I was lost? And, um, you know, I think part of my purpose today and what keeps me going and waking up in the morning and, and wanting to, I don't know, find the energy is knowing that I've had those experiences and that. I have the capacity and the ability to, I don't know, be there for somebody else who's feeling lost in that dark
1: place. And the thing that Sarah just said that I love so much is that we both kind of realized this around the same time because we were doing it together. We were struggling and climbing together. Um, one of my favorite quotes that is by Cheryl Stray, I'm not going to get the words right because I didn't memorize it, but the, the concept is that in order to climb the mountain, it's you have to, in order to get to the mountaintop, there's going to be blood involved. And there's no way to do this work without getting scratched and sweaty and bruised and banged. And Sarah is like a hiker. Like, so she like does it, like she knows this and she's bad ass at this. Like we are so far apart in our comfort zones of dealing with that kind of world. But what she always explains to me is that we have to become that person for ourselves. There is no partner. There's no perfect intimate relationship or parent relationship or kid relationship as a parent or friend relationship where we are going to find exactly what we need in that person. Oh, I love
0: that. You know, when I said there's another side and the side is freedom, I am the love of my life. <laughs> and my partner and my child are also loves of my life. But at the end of the day, when I closed my eyes, It's just me and whatever spirit of the universe that guides me and I know today that I can always depend on myself because I did hike through all that crap and I did sustain the bruises and the trauma and the wounds. The way I see it, I think our family, our partners, our children, our friends, our colleagues, our mentors, they're all going to let us down at some point because they're human and it's human nature and maybe even let us down through no fault of their own. But I am always going to be there for myself, wherever I go, there I am. And my well being, thank God is no longer dependent on what other people say, do think or feel. I mean, look, obviously, I'm not a robot. And of course, I'm impacted by other people. But at my core, I feel like today, my soul doesn't rely on other people, places and things to be whole, free and healed. And that is Amazing. <laughs>
1: so now you see why we are each other's people. So we're, <laughs> gonna, get in, we're gonna get into the nitty gritty. So Sarah, why did you say yes to doing this conversation with me?
0: I think that um, it's so important to <sighs> place responsibility where responsibility should be placed. And I don't think that that responsibility should be placed on women. And what I mean by that is I think that we live in this patriarchal system that undermines our self-worth at every turn. They want us focused on our bodies so that our social efficacy is diminished so that we don't go for leadership roles. We don't advocate for ourselves. um, And we see it everywhere we look. We see it's ingrained in us. It's It's a systematic problem. And so I think you would be hard pressed to find somebody who, a woman or somebody who's female identifying, who um, has not been impacted. And I would venture to say, you can't, you definitely can't find any men who have not been impacted.
1: I mean, exactly. So in what you were just saying, I just had an interview with Lulu, my 87-year-old grandmother, and when I, who admitted that she's never loved herself in 87 years, which broke Mm -hmm. my heart. But one of the things she said about because one of the most important things for me about Muscle love self is the ability to use our voice to advocate for ourselves. And she told me she's got a zero out of ten for advocating for herself. And I asked her why, because she has a ten out of ten for advocating for her family and she mm. or friends or the Jewish people or or whoever she cares about. And she's sad because she was told that, and she believes you said ingrained, systematic. She believes at her core that a woman who speaks up on her own behalf is a bitch, is pushy and demanding and loud. And I tried talking to her about what it could look like if we did it like with with dignity and respect and kindness and grace. And she's just like, she wanted to believe that, but she she, she had been told her whole life. And when she saw other women doing it, she heard not only from men there, from women too, women do this too to each other, the judgment, and the who does she think she is. And what I really love about Muscle of Self is that we are supposed to be lifting each other up, not judging each other's bodies, each other's actions, each other's marriages, each other's choices. I mean, I think that that is one of the permissions we need to give each other is to let each other off the hook and we're doing the best we can, right?
0: Yeah, I think I thought about a few things when you were speaking, one of them is You know, I think the reason we've been taught to cut each other down so much is because we have this belief that there's not enough to go around. Mm -hmm. And it's not really our fault that we have that belief. It's kind of been true, right? If you look at organizations, if you look at leadership roles, there's not a lot of women in the room. So when you are that woman in the room, you know that other women are your competition because it's just, there's not enough roles for us, right? The the equity isn't there. And I truly believe... (laughs) looking at the last I don't know few decades and look I'm not judging people I get it people like reality tv and it is a way to online I know that you like it Carly it's what I, I watch I'm when firm. I'm
1: spinning it keeps my brain in
0: it <laughs> I do understand, but also I want you to know that I truly believe in my heart that reality TV is a backlash to the feminist movement, because what it does is it shows women being cruel, mean, catty, shallow, um, and that's actually okay. But that's the only thing it shows, which is not okay, right? We are complex beings who have a spectrum of emotions and character traits and ideas. And um, we're very, we're imperfect like anyone else, but to only show us through one lens, um, reinforces that idea that we don't like each other. What breaks my heart the most when I was teaching high school was to hear girls say, I, don't have any girlfriends I just want to be one of the guys and that I was me that was me it was also me until I became an adult and was like what the actual fuck women are amazing why why was I brought up to feel this way um you know I think empowered women empower women that, that's it, right? When you want to lift somebody up, it's impossible to do so if you don't know also how to lift yourself up. And oh. so I think that's why this movement is, is really important. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to love others if, if you haven't even found it
1: within yourself to to love yourself. And it's impossible to not judge another woman, whether it's her body, her worth, her voice, how she's living her life. If We're still doing that internally, we can, on the outside, we can behave, right? Which means you work on really hard. But on the inside, if we're still judging them, it's hurting us as well. It's cutting away at any part of ourselves that's trying to be what we're talking about here. I want to ask you a question. So I ask every guest to judge themselves in three areas between one and 10, since we're so good at judging ourselves. And I would like you to tell me, One is I'm a monster to myself. I'm horrible. 10 is I'm aware that I'm a pretty incredible human. It doesn't mean that you think you're the best human. It just means like you're conscious of like who you are and that you like yourself. I want to hear one to 10 in each category, your regular number today, where you are today and what the lowest you've ever been is. So in terms of your image of your own body today, what number would you give yourself? 7.5. Okay. What's the lowest it's ever been? Negative 100. <laughs> and what was, what, what, just give me a brief, what was going on in your life at that point? I would say I was about 12 years old.
0: I was five, three, I weighed 62 pounds. I just to give you some perspective, I'm 35 today. I'm five, four, and I am like at least 60 pounds heavier than that now. And I'm one inch taller. So um, I was basically wasted away. I, I, I just remember hating everyone and everything. And myself was the most, I hated myself the most. And then everything else was terrible. I mean, I, I was just filled with um, anger from head to toe. I was filled with anger.
1: What would you rate your ability to know your worth today? I'd say a nine. And what is the lowest it's been?
0: <laughs> Not even on that chart. <laughs> <Not> on <what laughs> I, you- I mean, it felt complete. I felt completely worthless. I, I didn't see a point to being here on this planet. I didn't see a point to anybody else being here on this planet. It seemed like an epic waste of everyone's time. Was that around the same time or was that more in your drug use? Well, unfortunately or fortunately, depending upon how you look at it, that was during my drug use. I mean, I was really young when I started using drugs. I was like 10. And so, yeah, I think the self-worth, the lack of self-worth, I think came first, obviously. And the drugs and alcohol and eating disorder were part of,
1: yeah, self-medicating. That's what I've been really realizing the more women I speak to is that if we work on our work, then we will be able to find neutrality in our bodies, acceptance in our bodies, or love for our bodies, regardless of, depending on what you want. Like some people might get to a place where they love their bodies and they want to do like a boudoir shoot for themselves and they want to like celebrate. Some people want to just get to a place where they don't hate their body and they just don't have to think about it all the time. Some people want to get to a place where they respect it. You know, so we all have different concepts of what love for our body looks like. But what I believe personally is that if we don't know that our worth is not justified by our achievements, by our bodies, by outward stuff, then we will never be able to be someone who can use their voice on our behalf because we will not believe that we deserve it.
0: I'm gonna be honest with you today, I don't even connect those two concepts. My worth and my body image are not tied together
1: in any way. I don't even associate them. Isn't that incredible that you went from what you were? Because (laughs) you know, I've been struggling with this for so long and it was only the last two years that I really got to a place where I was like, fuck this. I don't wanna be like this anymore. Like, I don't wanna live like this anymore. That's ultimately what happened was I said, I don't wanna do this anymore. And then I did all the work I needed to do to get like that. And I still do it, but you were already there and we're going to get to the place to find out how that happened. Tell me, I kind of know the answer, but tell me what your number is for your ability to use your own voice on your behalf. On an excellent day, it's a 10. I'd say, um,
0: you know, I'm certainly human and I, there are times that I should have used my voice and I kick myself for not.
1: So I would say
0: it's not all areas today.
1: Like what general areas today are you, do you struggle in using your voice? Not at a 10.
0: Advocating for myself medically is a huge issue for me with medical. And I have a lot of Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, medical professionals, family, friends, you name it. I think having a chronic illness and there's been so much growth over the years, but been really challenging. Actually, something you said to me a long time ago has totally shifted my perspective and I didn't even have children at this point. I was trying desperately to get pregnant and you told me I was in a family situation that I didn't want to be in because I wasn't feeling well. And you said, if you had a little kid, would you subject them to this situation if they weren't feeling well? And I was like, fuck no. (laughs) You were like, so why are you going to do it to yourself? And I was like, whoa, like my mind was blown open. I was like, I don't know. Why would I treat it like a, you know, why would I think that it's okay for a little kid? you know, to protect a little kid, but not myself. Why is that different in any way? It's not, I mean, I I think living with integrity and living a life of honesty that honors my truth means that those things are
1: on an equal playing field. And just so everyone can know that's listening, living with integrity and honoring our truth, we don't get that information until we do a ton of work every day to find that out. And we do that together and alone. And then when we get to it, we give each other this option And we say, you can either do this one or you can do this one. And it's up to you. You get to decide which option you want. And that option, whatever we choose, does not come with peace right away. It comes with challenges. We will feel better in the end. But the only way out is through, right? So I want to go back to when you were a young girl and you were growing up. I want to know what the women around you in your life were showing you or not showing you, telling you or not telling you about what a woman is supposed to be like, negative or positive, whether it's body, what your place is in the world, what you saw as a little girl?
0: I think other I saw nothing. (laughs) I didn't have a bunch of negative influences, honestly, you know, there was nobody um, like terrorizing me. But I will say that I did not see any evidence of what a healthy relationship looked like. I didn't see people who liked themselves or That's their what I mean. bodies. That's what I mean. Like I yeah, want to know... I mean, I think nothing. There was nothing necessarily to the contrary. You know, in my in my home, nobody spoke negatively about their bodies. They didn't speak about them at all. Nobody spoke about any. Nobody talked about anything. And so I think. Um, any information that I was receiving about these things came from my peers at school, came from the media. Um, I was a competitive equestrian. I rode horses and I was really serious when I was young and I had the potential to be really good. And it was the pressure of the competition and the perfectionism. And, um, like it tore me apart. It tore me apart and I had no, um, No guides to navigate that stress on my body. Like,
1: what was happening? Like, what were you hearing or seeing that made you feel torn apart while you were doing something that was so enjoyable to yourself?
0: Hmm. That's a really good question. I think part of it, and I think I don't think body image is a class thing. Certainly, you see this across all different boundaries. But I was really acutely aware of how much money my family was spending to try to make my dream work out. And um, I think any time I didn't deliver, I felt the weight of wasted opportunity. Disappointment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And I also got a lot of, um, you know, if this makes you so happy, why are you so upset all the time?
1: Right. Right. <laughs> so, so much expectations and pressure about something that w- that should have been enjoyable. And- Right, like I'm, I'm an eight-year-old. <laughs> right. And that's actually really important that we're talking about this because that really goes to our worth of this achievement and expectation. I was talking to a woman who's from Malaysia and she was saying that, the expectation her mother had of her in school, not only in school, in home, in her, how she needed to keep her house, how she needed to keep her bedroom, her, her, her body, her hair was such a high expectation that there there left no room for childhood. And yeah. that happens a lot, especially, unfortunately for women, because there's this feeling in society that we need to be as good as, if not better than not only each other, but the other gender.
0: Families who grew up where we grew up, it's so, you know, everyone's supposed to look like they're doing amazing, right? You're not allowed to talk about anything. We were not allowed to discuss anything that was happening in our home. That was like a huge party foul. There was a time where I was hospitalized, where nobody knew where I was, like even my family members, because my parents didn't want to tell anybody, which is fucking bananas, right? I can't even imagine telling my kids that they're not allowed to discuss what happens in our house. I know that that's how my parents grew up. And that's- I grew up like that, but I grew up in an
1: alcoholic home. Why did your parents, why are your parents like that?
0: You don't know. I think that their parents were like that. And I think a part of keeping up appearances. Yes,
1: there's a societal old school idea of don't tell anyone like, oh, trust me, you know. I mean, cause you, you write about your life and you have had to kind of put that on hold because there's been so many people that are pissed off all the time. But when I was embarking on writing in seconds and inches, you were talking to me about it. And you're like, there's new people that are upset. And there is this idea, especially for women. And it reminds me so much of Charlotte Perkins Gilman and the yellow wallpaper, which is one of my favorite pieces I ever read and being trapped in that third floor attic because they didn't want her voice to be heard. And I remember when I started writing our stories, some members of my family were like, why are you telling everybody our things like you're not supposed to tell people that you're not doing well? Like what, why are you telling people that you're not doing well? And I think that's one of my responsibilities, right? My family thought it was nobody's business. Here's the problem
0: with that. If you can't tell anybody, you can't get help. Hmm. So because I couldn't say what was going on and I could only speak to the select few people. (laughs) My parents had paid to speak to me. (laughs) I couldn't get the help I needed and I didn't know how to access resources. And I think Part of the problem of being silenced and why my eating disorder became so severe is I found the only thing I could control was my body. That was it. That was the only thing in my life that I knew for a fact I could
1: control over. Will you tell me when you started being aware of body stuff to the point where it became so disordered?
0: Oh man, I feel like I started disordered eating before I even knew what it meant. And I even knew that it was cool. Right. It, it was something that came from within. I, I know that is so crazy and messed up to say, but I intrinsically knew as a, what, seven, eight-year-old, that if I made myself throw up, um, I would feel better somehow, which is really crazy. Um, but I remember it, it started with bulimia and it wasn't necessarily... Um, I wasn't trying to have any sort of body image. I didn't even know what that meant. And honestly, if you look at my family, I we have really good genes, right? Like we won the gene lottery. It is, I'm a thin person. I've always been a thin person. So in the beginning, it was not about weight. I was never like, I have to be skinnier until I started going down that path. And then it became obsessive and out of control.
1: What made it switch to have to be skinnier? Were people giving you attention, negative or positive, like you're so skinny and then you wanted more of that? I was getting so much negative attention. I don't know what, um,
0: which, which negative attention I was getting, whether it was for my body or doing drugs or getting in fights or getting arrested. I mean, I was, who knows? The overlap of my uh, childhood problems was, I don't think I can untangle them, but I will say that I'm, it made me feel good to know that I could control something and no one could take that away. That's really where it it lay. And I think it's so messed up that we live in a society where our bodies are so regulated and public. They're such public material that the only way we feel like we can gain control over our body is disordered exercising, disordered eating, disordered fill in the blank. I mean, that's how much women's bodies are part of public consumption.
1: You know, one of the things I saw on over 200 questionnaires that I read was almost every single woman, maybe except for like five out of 200, said that they have participated as an adult in restrictive eating and excessive um, exercising where, and just the word restrictive, like we are doing that to ourselves. That's not the same thing as I want to eat healthy or i like to, to try something like a plan that's going to help me feel better. We are restrict. I mean, I know it because I have it, I have that woman within me that me, it's like, a, I call her like my drill sergeant. And she's like, you are not allowed to do this. You are not allowed to have that. Do I need to put a sign on the cupboard that says, Carly, do not you remember how you feel? And it's just mean. I want to know. From when you got sober, at what point after you got sober, because I know you didn't do anything about your health until then. At what point on your journey of being sober did you get to a place where you're like, I'm taking back my body and my worth?
0: Oh, that's such a good question. It was not until I started really working the steps in Alcoholics Anonymous um, that I had like a clear enough head that I could think straight to even sort out what exactly my problems were. I mean, everything felt so hopeless and overwhelming. It was like I had, it was like I was being buried alive. And so it certainly wasn't until I had like removed all the dirt and could breathe that I was like, okay, what, what is really going on here? And I, I think what it, it took was me being really miserable and feeling like, okay, I did all this work, Aren't I supposed to be feeling better now? You know, like I did everything you guys said. And what I realized is that there were so many other issues that I had not processed or dealt with. And, you know, that started a lot of intensive therapy that was super helpful. And I have to say, it didn't necessarily stick at first. (laughs) So I went through phases. I mean, I got, I'll say, well, quote unquote. And then I got involved in a relationship that was super, super unhealthy and because of that i stopped taking care of myself and all of those issues started resurfacing i remember i was probably like i want to say it was like maybe 12 years ago and i went to therapy again and i was like i don't i don't know how i got back to this place like something is very wrong here i am again and i i had the opportunity to start that process over again i don't think healing is linear It's how this works and you know i think what you said earlier about restriction it just reminds me, we put into places these systems of punishment. Yes. Which is wild, right? I mean- On ourselves. Things. Yes, yes. As if the world isn't giving us enough punishment, we
1: also have to inflict it. You know what I, what I love about what you just said? So for everyone that's listening, this, not only is it not linear to heal and not only does it take a lot of time and there's setbacks and, and back and forth. So for example, I was- Nine, when I started my physical eating disorder, obsessive body crap, all of it, physically harming anorexia, bulimia, exercise, all of it. 21, when I stopped physically harming my body. And then from 21 until about two years ago, restriction exercise. And then the the worst part was just the mean, the mean inner talk of the judgment and the criticism and the mean name and the the hate. It was self-hatred. And I was like, I don't understand. I'm not doing the activity anymore. Why am I still so sick in this area? And it's not just about, you know, Sarah and I are always talking when we're working with women that you don't have to wait to feel better and then do the work. You have to do the work, even if you don't like it and the actions and then the results happen after. So what I was doing, and I'm realizing this now, is I was just not doing negative actions, but I wasn't doing any positive actions. I was just not doing the bad thing. And so on the outside, it looked like I was doing positive actions because I exercised and I ate really well, but that exercise and ate really well, which is acceptable in our society was underneath it was restrictive systems of punishment that looked like I was exercising, eating really well, but I was just constantly trying to figure out different air quote, healthy ways to torture myself.
0: Yeah, I think you said something really, important. well, you said a lot of really important things, but you know, my attitude always follows my actions. 100% of the time, you said it, I don't feel better and then I do the thing I'm supposed to do. I feel like crap and then I do the thing and then I feel better. And something that seemed so obvious today, but I had to learn from the beginning is that in order to have self-esteem, I had to take esteemable actions which is like, duh, right? But I felt like people would say like, we will love you until you love yourself or we just don't understand, you're so amazing. Why don't why can't you just see how beautiful and amazing you are? And those were beautiful sentiments that held zero weight for me because I felt like everybody knew something that I didn't know. I was like, what, tell me, tell me what you guys know so that I can figure it out. And here's what it is that they could not articulate I had to do selfless acts. I had to do things for other people in order to feel good about myself, which kind of seems contrary, but is the only solution that I have found that works every single time. It does. I started thinking about my body once I started getting healthy and um, sober and I, I was recovered. I felt like um, you know my higher power is plays a huge part in my life. And that's also super helpful because it gives me another layer of purpose. And I kept thinking, my body is a vehicle. Mm. And when I think about my body as a vehicle that my higher power gave me, what, what do vehicles do? Well, they take us places, right? They, they help us accomplish things. Whether I'm riding my bike somewhere or I'm taking my car, my body is the vehicle for my soul. So if I'm treating my vehicle like crap, my soul can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that is a problem. And so something that became, uh, first of all, I'm just going to put it out there. I hate exercising. I am not like you. I think it's the actual worst. I go to a gym and I have a panic attack. Mm-hmm. I My husband has a home gym in our garage. I don't even look at it when I go to my car. I'm like, get out of here. I think exercising is the worst, but- I needed a way <laughs> to get healthy and make my body strong. And so I found something that worked for me. And for me, that was the outdoors. And there were so many activities that didn't feel like exercise because I was physically going somewhere, right? I had an end game. If I went on a hike, I hiked up the mountain. The goal was to get to the top of the mountain. It wasn't to like lift a lot of weights, which doesn't didn't work for me. And it works for some people. So I think getting physically stronger, regardless of what I looked like, was super helpful in thinking about my body as a tool. And also, if you do have a, a belief in a higher power and you believe that God or a higher power gave you this body and you're treating it like crap, I mean, what are you saying to your higher power? You're like, I thank you for this gift. I don't really care about it.
1: I love everything you just said. I want to switch gears and ask you, we're not gonna go deep into this because I'd like to do it on another episode. But one of the things that I, I admired the most about you is that at a period of time in your life, you worked as a rape crisis counselor. And I wanna know what kinds of things you learned about women that we need to hear that you saw in as a pattern in terms of our worth or voice that we were struggling with that we need, that you learned from that experience that you could share with us.
0: Hmm that's a very big question. I think what I'll focus on, maybe not so much what I learned about a pattern of other women, but what I personally took away from this experience, and I will just clarify by saying I was a rape crisis counselor and victim advocate. We saw people who are not just women. So that is something, um, you know, obviously sexual trauma, sexual assault, rape impacts everybody. But obviously it was disproportionately women are impacted. And so I will say what I learned is that there is no right way to walk through trauma. Mm, I love what you just said. There isn't. There's no right answer. So stop. It, It doesn't matter how much effort i put into finding the right way or the right answer or doing it correctly because it does not exist it is a personal journey like we said before it is not linear and there are you know many twists and turns i think that i maybe the most depressing fact that i took away is that we continue to place responsibility back on women to protect ourselves and that is the biggest myth ever that we are able to protect ourselves you know i want you to think about how we talk about assault right we talk about how many women were raped versus how many
1: men raped them right if i've okay. never ever heard that i've never. the way you just said it, it was just like a. my whole head blew up because It's true, me and you are talking all the time about all the women we knew that were raped, but what we should be talking about is there are so many men out there that raped women we know.
0: Yes, and so I think, look, this idea that the responsibility to keep ourselves safe, it's absurd and it's impossible. And I think that the big problem, I was gonna say the FBI statistic of one in four women in a lifetime uh, being sexually assaulted, I think that those are, first of all, people who report which, Which ever, I did not. As we, I also did not. As we know, almost no, the reporting statistics are like 2% or something ridiculous. So I'm hard pressed to find people I know who have not been assaulted sexually in some way. And I, I think that when we hear about it, we want to think that the men in our lives, we don't want to look at the men in our lives and think that they're capable of doing such a terrible thing. Especially if we've been... Um, victimized ourselves, right? Because then that's a lot to digest and carry around. But the real problem, if that many women are being assaulted, this false narrative that we've been walking around with that like most men are good and it's just a couple bad eggs, the numbers don't fucking add up. If there's a, what is, what is there, like five men going around raping everybody? That's, that's not how this works. I'm, I'm sorry. I refuse to believe that. And so I think something that I focused on a lot, and also I was in college when. I started this work, which is like a breeding ground for sexual assault. And what I saw is that we do not have the curriculum, the vocabulary, the education in place for men. This is not about protecting your daughters. This is about educating men. I was in-
1: um, Oh my Lord. And just so you know, Sarah has a son and I have three boys and we talk about this all the time. I cannot even tell you how important this is. Keep going. Our favorite
0: book for toddlers is called "C is for Consent. Um, You know, I was in this task force meeting. I'm on a consent task force in the Jewish community. And uh, somebody was saying how they feel so bad for boys that it must be so confusing for them um, to know what is an okay situation or not. And I when it was my turn to speak, I said I have a very different perspective on this. My perspective is that's crazy. Consent is enthusiastic, period. If you are enthusiastic, someone will know. If there is anything other than enthusiasm, it is not consent. And that is what we need to be teaching
1: our boys. So consent is not fine. No, that right? doesn't sound enthusiastic. So my youngest son, this is the reason why we don't talk about it in that way. We, because I say that they can't just get a Consent, it has to be a very specific one because my youngest son, every day of his entire life since he's been able to speak, will pick and nag and beg and plead and use every tactic to get something that he wants. I want a cookie. No, I want a cookie. Can I just have a little bit of a cookie? Please, 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 please. And if I finally say you can have a little bit, he goes, I got consent. And I said, are you going to do that to a girl one day? Are you going to say, can I please touch your boob? No, please, 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 please. Can I just put it up for five seconds? Fine, right? That's not consent. And consent happens the first time,
0: right? There's no follow-up question.
1: That's <gasps>
0: I love that. <laughs> There's no follow-up. It's yes or no. And if it's unsure, that is a no. Anything other than an enthusiastic yes is a no.
1: And oh I, my God.
0: I think it also starts with, You know, there's this fabulous film that was done and it's called Misrepresentation. M-I-S-S, Representation, and it's about women, how we're portrayed in the media, and a bunch of other things. And one of the statistics, and I'm gonna mess it up, but it was like, in equal numbers, when kids are like one to five years old, they wanna be president, boys and girls, right? They're like, yes, what do you wanna be when I grow up president? I think it was like at the age of five, almost no girls say that they wanna be president because we think that we can be things that we see. And so when I hear people in the media saying things like, it's so wonderful that um, Kamala is vice president for our girls, I think, no, it is so wonderful that our boys are watching a woman vice president because they're the ones who need to see that women inhabit these spaces. We've
1: always known we could do this. Correct.
0: I I love when people are like, women just need to find their voices. We, We have our voices. We need to have safe spaces where we're allowed and encouraged to use them.
1: Oh my God, I love you. Okay. I I forgot to ask you this at the beginning. Did you bring a quote today? Oh, um, no, was I supposed to? That's okay, I'm just gonna edit that part out like it never even happened. Ready, yes, do you have one? I mean, it's not a quote, It's it's a life
0: mantra. Okay, I want it, let's have it. And you know it well, because it's my favorite mantra in the whole world. And it's, there are two types of business in this world. There is my business and there is none of my business and what other people say, think, do, and feel is not my business. (laughs) My only business is my own behavior. And if I'm behaving, that's it, period. End of story.
1: And in terms of what we're talking about today, I believe that our own behavior also includes advocating for ourselves and for other people. That doesn't mean just behaving the way that my grandmother was taught to behave, which is keep quiet and don't, don't speak up and don't, be too loud right it is behaving based on what we know is morally correct I am inviting you into lightning round okay so here we go if you could go back to yourself when you were 12 years old what would you say since you said no one said anything except for negative things I
0: would say that you are going to make it and
1: feel peace and serenity. Doesn't that, I mean, every single time I talk about this with another woman, I think to myself, I would have done anything to have me today, just like if I was sitting on a playground and I saw Carly then, and if I was just like, Hey, can I talk to you for a second? And I had that moment where I could just like, look her in the eyes and be like, you're going to make it. Yep. But we didn't know that. I really didn't know that. What? would you like to let go of in terms of judgment for your body? Oh boy. I would like to let go of the
0: judgment of when my body isn't working how I wish it would.
1: I'm so so glad you brought this up because we're not talking about our belly looking a certain way. We're actually specifically talking about Because one thing we didn't mention was, you know, Sarah's got a debilitating medical chronic illness that more days she doesn't feel well than she does feel well. And I actually wrote down before we started, I wrote down the word worth and then I made a line and I wrote illness. Mm. Because I know that's probably your biggest struggle as it's one of mine is that we judge ourselves when we don't feel well.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, maybe even one step beyond judgment, I go down like this fear path. So like, let's say I have three days where I cannot get out of bed. I suddenly fear that I will never be able to get out of bed, right? I'm like, oh, I guess this is it. I'm, I guess I'll never go on another hike. I guess that we'll have to cancel all of the adventures I planned because I'll never be able to get in shape enough to go on them when I know that, um, you know, just like anything, this is an ebb and a flow. And even if I am very ill, I have been on many a trip
1: very ill and maybe throwing it- up on the hike yes. so what would you what do you wish you could change it's not going to go away but how would you like to address that part of Sarah when you get like that like what is the Sarah that is mm-hmm. strong and solid need to say that the Sarah that's struggling in those moments
0: I think it is a severe case of fear of missing out FOMO. I, but I would like to say <laughs> to Sarah who is stuck in bed watching adventure documentaries (laughs) is that it is okay to be doing exactly what you're doing and you will get to do the things you need to do and want to do in a different timetable
1: what would 80 year old sarah say to you now
0: Oh, probably to just like let go of all the stupid anxieties that I hold on to. What is beautiful to you? Kindness. I think it's really beautiful when I see moments of, of unexpected kindness. And I think it's really beautiful when um, I see people lifting each other up.
1: Me too. I have to say, you know, I always am doing like random collections in my neighborhood because I want my kids to, to do stuff. And it requires no money because I find that to be very uncomfortable to ask people for money. And people can do this wherever they are. You can say, you can post on your lo- local social media area, like, hey, for the next two weeks, I'm collecting used backpacks. We're gonna deliver them to the people who don't have a home. Or, hey, we're gonna collect you know, shoes that are no one's using anymore. And people love getting rid of things that they don't need anymore. And when I see, when I come home every day and I see my front porch, full of bags of donations of other people's stuff that they went through and they did it makes me feel like there are some good humans here because you know I work in customer service as well as coaching and I get to encounter a lot of really awful humans that are in probably struggles but more and more I'm like why are people so mean but when I see those beautiful moments it reminds me that there's there's beauty I also think People are so
0: mean because they are miserable. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I truly believe that. I don't know anybody who is kind, um, like who feels terrible, and I don't know anybody who's mean who feels great. Like that's not, that's not how it it's works.
1: True. It's so true. What do you want others to say about you when you're not in the room?
0: That I have integrity. That I'm the same person everywhere I go.
1: What does it mean to be a strong woman?
0: Hmm. It means that you are willing to stand up for what's right, even when it is uncomfortable and uh,
1: you might face consequences. I'm laughing because we belong, we used to belong to a group together where we were listening to a recording that was revered by people for decades and decades and made both of us very uncomfortable the way that the men in it were speaking about women. And we were the most unpopular voices in the room. We had people that we loved and respected that basically tore us down because how dare we speak up against something like this. And you just led for me in that period of time with such example of who fucking cares this is making us uncomfortable and it's making new women that come here uncomfortable and they don't want to say anything because they're already uncomfortable. And so it's our responsibility. And I love that about you. I think that's what motivates
0: me when I don't want to do the thing because I know that everyone's going to hate me. <laughs> I remember that people, if people wouldn't have done it for me,
1: where would I be? Yeah. Last two, you've got nine months left to live and you found, out today that for sure in nine months you're not going to be alive anymore what would you do with the rest of your time
0: oh man i would go on some epic adventures with my family we would climb a lot of mountains
1: even with covid you just go
0: peace out yeah i mean the cool thing about mountains is there's not a lot of people on (laughs) (laughs)
1: last words you get one piece of advice for every woman that's going to listen to this to hear what do you want to say to them
0: Mm. doing the work is 100% worth it.
1: Now everybody sees why I love her. (laughs) and I'm the luckiest person that she's Mm. in my life. And once in a while, when I get teary, I say, I'll send her a message. And I'm like, you better not ever fucking stop doing the work because I will not be able to withstand the loss of you. Same. I love you. Thank you for your time. you You are amazing. You are. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you are willing to rate, review, and share with your people, it makes such a difference for others to find it. And if you wanted to check out my memoir, Seconds and Inches, it's available on Amazon as an audiobook with me narrating, a paperback, and digital. I promise you, you will love it. Have an awesome day. And one more thing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. (laughs) La, 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 la 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 la